Hi and welcome to Seek Sustainable Japan podcast. I'm JJ Walsh, your host. In this episode, I'm talking with journalist, writer James Clark and filmmaker Robbie McCain, who have joined forces to do a documentary film about the people and the development along the MCT, the Michinoku Coastal Trail. I've, I've talked with、um, James before about this project, and you were a bit frustrated. And I think 2019 you had been, and you kind of stopped on the project. And then you and Robbie have been working on、uh, filming. You were back here in April this year and documenting. And I love the new title. Can I say it? Of course, please. Yes. So,、uh, you've decided Stronger Than the Wave might be the new title. Recovery in Action before Stronger Than the Wave, maybe.、Um, I'm really excited to hear about your film and your ideas. Thanks so much for joining. Thank you, Joy. It's a pleasure to be here. Ravi, do you want to start about, a little bit about how you got involved with this project? Yeah, sure, absolutely. So, Uh, James and I met because、uh, James was looking for a collaborator to help make a documentary about the area because he'd already been to visit it. So he had a bit of knowledge about it already. And I think he was keen, you know, like so many people that go to Tohoku, I don't know if I'm speaking uh, um, for you, James, but he was keen to actually help and get involved. And, and he thought a film would be, you know, a good way to do that. So. That's how we met. And I had previously been to Japan, not to the Tohoku area, but、um, I already had an interest in you know, Japanese culture and landscapes and stuff. So I,、uh, yeah, I was keen to get involved. And、uh, obviously, we went early this year, got to meet a lot of amazing people,、um, got to film a lot of the trail itself.、Um, the trail is vast, it's overwhelming, but、uh, we. <laughs> We had a great time. We、uh, stayed at a lot of places. We experienced a lot of culture. And、uh, really getting immersed in that was uh, uh, very inspiring and obviously collected a lot of material. And then we're looking to go back out now in November to complete filming. And、um, yeah, it's,、uh, it's been a great time. Yeah, that's great. And I was, I was so happy to see、uh, this photo here, James, you are with. <laughs> Uh, Kumi Aizawa, <laughs> but、uh, yes. she has been and she will be a part of、uh, getting the film released in Japan. Robbie, you were telling me, right?、Um, she also, I had the chance to talk with her on the show.、Uh, she's one of the trail experts.、Uh, so, James,、mm. can you just give us a little overview about the MCT? How did you get、uh, excited about this project? Remind us. Yeah, I mean, I was in、um, sorry, Tohoku, so the Michinoku Coastal Trail back in September 2019. And, you know, I'm a lover of nature. So, you know, it was absolutely perfect for me. I mean, you can walk at the time, it was a thousand kilometers long.、Um, you know, you could walk for possibly days and days and days without seeing anybody if that's what you wanted. So, it's perfect. But you know, I was quite surprised because at the time it was eight and a half years after the earthquake and tsunami, and there was still so much、um, construction, reconstruction, and even roads in Fukushima still being rebuilt. So I found that really shocking.、Um, you know, I came back to the UK 
uh, did a lot of writing, different publications. That was great, you know. Um, but then, you know, alas, the pandemic came along. So everything kind of went on hold, you know, in Japan and the UK. Um, and I sat there twiddling my thumbs for a while and just thinking about how we could reach people. Because not everybody reads magazines, <laughs> you know, it, it's a fact of life or newspapers. So I just thought, you know, perhaps a film and then, you know, obviously had a chat with Kumi and a few other people, uh, the MCT team. And, you know, we decided to um, well, start with the project. But um, with obviously the pandemic, you know, I think it was like two years, maybe even longer. You know, it's been a long time, but I'm really happy, obviously, that we have been at least once this year and we are going back. Yeah, that's so exciting that it's moving ahead. Uh, yes. The borders have opened and made it possible. Um, so you've sent me, Robbie, thank you so much. You've sent me some beautiful pictures. Uh, and also, before we start, I think, James, you sent an update that actually next week they're going to open a new section of the trail, right? Absolutely. Um, yes, the trail is going to be extended uh, an extra 200 kilometers. So we're looking at 1,200 in total. Um, and it's connecting, you know, going, further, going deeper into Fukushima. I mean, when I was there back in 2019, it kind of stopped at Soma City. So I don't know a great deal about the trail, the new part of the trail, but obviously I'm really excited to uh, be seeing it in, I think, what, six weeks' time now. So it's coming up really fast again. Yeah, and you you mentioned in your, you did a Kickstarter campaign uh, to kickstart yes. your project, and uh, you reached your goal. Congratulations, you. both of Thank you. Thank you so much. And that helped you, you get the basic funding to go ahead with the project, right? Yeah, yeah, no, it did. I mean, yeah, so we're extremely grateful. It's a crowdfunding is quite a stressful experience. I'm not sure whether <laughs> I want to put my hands up for it again. There was a lot of sleepless nights, <laughs> but but we got there, so it's wonderful. That's great. And I was checking. Uh, you had 50 backers. That's fantastic. Three thousand four hundred fifty-eight pounds you raised, which at the moment, unfortunately, the yen is so weak. But that's six hundred and thirty-two thousand yen at the moment. Wow, so hopefully, yeah. you can really move forward with your project. If you're doing project, uh, if you're spending the money in Japan, it'll go further. Yeah, yeah absolutely, <laughs> it's true at the moment, definitely. <laughs> Now, uh, looking at this picture I got from Robbie's Instagram. Now, both of you are active on Instagram. Is this at the start of the trail this year? Um, no, so that is at the, um, that's near Offenato, um at this place called the, uh, uh, the Quade Pass. And um, we were guided up there by a, um, a French guide who lives in Japan called uh, Isabel. Is, my, is that yeah, right, James? Isabel, yes. Yeah. And um, we also had a member of the trail team with us as well. Um, Singer. Uh, yeah. And uh, so that was, uh, you know, <laughs> that was a whole day's shoot pretty much just doing that, that three to four hour hike um, over the pass. And um, it's just one of the examples of how, just that area is kind of its own ecosystem ecosystem with sort of you know a unique look to it and um it's sort of just amazing like as you go further up the pass it starts out being kind of 
dry sort of woodland and then kind of gets more mossy and then more rocky and then the, the terrain completely changes as you get to the pass and at the very top of the pass there's this huge um kind of mound of um uh just sort of carvings that uh, that marks the sort of the the traditional sort of feudal boundary that was in that area and um yeah it was a great place to shoot I was I was really happy to read on your descriptions that Kumi had been setting up guides and and locations and and helping you navigate uh, what you were going to do. How much of it did you end up walking? Um, well, yeah, I mean, we walked every day, probably for maybe two, three, four hours every day. You know, with the filming, etc. You I'm know, it could more, yeah. take a lot longer, of course. Takes time, yeah. <laughs> Um, let's go through some of the photos. You guys can comment on what we're seeing. Uh, I'll just follow through the numbers that you sent me. So this one, is that start? Yeah, that's near uh, Onagawa in a place called uh, Ogatsu. Um, so it's it's one of the areas that was very um, heavily affected by the tsunami. So there's been a lot of rebuilding there. And they've moved a lot of the town further up into the hills, particularly like the residential buildings. Um, so we were just sort of passing through that area. And this is Shiogama. So that's just the foot of the Shiogama shrine. Uh, you can see the steps going up behind. And that was a beautiful place. And we actually got to see and film a outdoor ceremony where they had a sort of portable shrine that they were actually pushing up the stairs, like huge crowds of people. Oh, um, wow. So that was really amazing and special to see. Mm. And that's Shiogama shrine again with the cherry blossom. Uh, oh so wow! Yeah, that's a, that's a special kind of like puffy cherry blossom. I like that one. Yeah, gorgeous. Uh, yeah, again, Shiogama Shrine. So some beautiful, beautiful colors there. These were all taken on a medium format Vermeer camera. So <laughs> not only uh, making it hard on ourselves uh, carrying the filming equipment, we're carrying huge stills camera as well. <laughs> uh, this is uh, the kind of island hopping on the Urato Islands. Um, yeah, so one of the ferries there. Um, so it's not just it's walking along the coast, it's also going to and from islands, is it? Yeah, so the, the trail actually crosses over different smaller islands, which is really amazing. I mean, the government designed it with sort of uh, local towns and places of historical interest in mind. So. Um, it really, it's not a direct route, it, it just, it really sort of wiggles around, but it, the benefit of that is it takes you to so many places that would otherwise you might overlook. So, um, it really feels like you're, you're going on a, a traditional sort of adventure or journey. Now, as, as we look through these, uh, these photos, I love your quote, Robbie, you said that one of your aims is to show just how much this area and the people have really changed and transformed in the last 12 years. Is that right? Yeah, well, I mean, um, in some ways, I think uh, there's been change. In some ways, they haven't, because obviously the resolve of people, you know, wanting to stay and live in uh, in Tohoku and that whole area is is probably one of the main messages of the documentary, and it's it's a kind of positive one. It's like, despite, you know, whatever sort of setbacks you may have, you know, sort of natural disasters or otherwise, um, your identity of where you live um, can be really important for some people. And that that's a key takeaway. But obviously, in terms of change, the adaptability, that's another key thing. So that's in terms of, you know, people are determined to stay somewhere, but then 
they they're so adaptive in terms of how they will do that and no matter how much the landscape changes they will change with it wow yeah james anything you want to add to that like your yeah sorry yes of course yeah i mean the whole the whole region has kind of changed really you know we've got cities and towns that obviously have been built a lot higher than they were before mm. um other areas have a seawall they kind of had the choice i think between the two um and you know obviously um residential housing in a lot of areas now has had been built much further back than it was originally so in some parts of port, ports and seafronts the only real surrounding buildings are probably like industrial warehouses, factories, where people kind of work. So it's changed. Yeah, it's changed a lot. And obviously, you know, a lot of people have stayed, but a huge amount of people have have left as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a interesting on many different angles, the nature angle, the reconstruction angle, but also the the most powerful part is the human resilience and the connection to the land and, and area, right? Yeah, yeah, Their yeah. connection to the, the Tohoku region that you're you're shooting at. Yeah, I mean we're so lucky really because I think the general consensus is that local people don't talk too much between themselves about 2011. But obviously they meet us and they want to sit down and they want to talk, you know, gives them the opportunity just to speak about, you know, the situation and how they feel a little bit. So hopefully maybe in that way, we're also doing a little bit of good. Yeah. Now, James, you're originally, uh, you were talking about writing a book. Is that still happening in tandem with the, the film? Um, at the moment, not. That was kind of something that was offered to me back in 2020. And the uh, editor has since left and had a baby. <laughs> so maybe yes, maybe no. I'm going to concentrate on this project first and then, and then we'll, sit back down and discuss it again hey yeah no definitely and uh, i'm sure so much of the narrative and dialogue that would have been in your book is definitely going to be part of the narrative and dialogue of the documentary yes. I'd imagine, right hmm. uh, let's continue with the the pictures what are we looking at here can you see it <laughs> oh, so that's um, <laughs> that's part of our team um there so i think that's james's sleeve there on the far left and then it uh, is kume and shinge who shinge was uh actually got drafted into helping with the sound in some areas of the shoot he was sort of there initially to help drive us to different locations but he uh i sort of drafted him as a sound recorder whilst i was shooting um on some areas of the trail and then uh on the far right it's uh, chinatsu and she was one of the trail representatives um who joined us for the Hachinoe and Iwate parts of the trail. So you were talking about uh, local people kind of not wanting to talk about it, but with you guys, they were more willing to open up mm -hmm. and tell their story. Um, have you been working not only with trail managers or people who know the area well, um, but also you working with translators to make sure that there's no language problems? Yeah, we have a translator with us. Um, for most, most of the time, most of the trip, we had a translator with us. And we have another one uh, set up for when we return again in the end of October. So that was a great help. I mean, can you imagine without it? It's been so difficult for us. So yeah. very, yeah. very grateful for that. Yeah, Quite a great yeah. translator, Taka. And he was actually um, 
live interpreting um, the interviews as they were being spoken. So I was sort of getting the Japanese in one ear and the English in the other ear sort of a few seconds later. So that was a bit of a learning curve as well. It's incredibly that's, clever though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. great. Yeah. Listening to Japanese and speaking English live, mm -hmm. it was like, mm -hmm. that was so impressive. Amazing. All right, the next photo, what are we looking at here? Okay, so that is, I think that's near the um, Ketayama Cape. Uh, so it's in, um, it's kind of near Fudai uh, uh, in, you know, just these, uh, I can't remember if it's Iwate or the um, the next prefecture down, but yeah, it's, it's part of the coastline there. And that's probably one of my, that was near one of the most beautiful parts of the coastline that we saw. Maybe it's just that we had great weather, but it was close to where we, went through the hand-carved tunnels that are that are in that area um yeah so is that a, is that a dock where they get the fishing nets off of maybe that we were looking at before yeah this is all sort of traditional fishing coastline um so yeah it was very um very picturesque in that part of the country and this is a little cove it looks like yeah this is the same area so um yeah uh, we were just uh, trekking on the coastline uh, for the trail. It sort of actually hugs the cliffs in that part. So there's actually a path just in the cliffs and you've got the waves crashing up beneath you. Oh, very scenic. So the trail actually goes right along the coast. You have these views as you're walking along? Yeah. So I think uh, these are the most sort of picturesque uh, or some of the most picturesque parts of the trail um, where, and the, obviously it can, at times it's right close to the ocean in terms of height and other times you're kind of hiking up into very very high forests and cliffs like in this picture here where you're sort of um kind of overlooking the sea and yeah it really um the amount of environments that you go through on the trail is um is enormous <laughs> and overwhelming so and James, I imagine as a writer, as you're walking through all these different views, you're creating books and stories in your head as well, aren't you? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's a really inspiring place to be, of course, you know. And, you know, I love connecting with nature. It's one of my favorite things to do outside of work. So, you know, the sound of nothing, you know, the sound of silence, you know, is, is incredible. Now, it looks like there's some with road access, um, like some of the pilgrimage trails around Japan. Uh, there are people that do it by moped or even car or bicycle. Um, but most of the trail, it looks like it is hiking trails. It is really not passable by car or mm. motorized vehicle. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, mostly. But, you know, parts of the trail, I mean, I guess you could do them by car, you know, especially when you go uh, further south, for example you know, towards Fukushima, that sort of area. You know, but, you know, I don't think it really, yeah, I don't think people really hike hike and drive at the same time, no, because you'd have to go back and get your car, wouldn't you, from wherever from wherever you started. So that could be really kind of counterproductive, yes. Unless you but, have a support vehicle, maybe, for, for people that want to do the whole thing, maybe? I don't know. No support vehicle like what we had <laughs> did you have people driving along with all your gear and where did you stay along the way in small villages yeah we stayed at a different place every evening 
So generally pensions, occasionally business hotels as well. But, you know, that was, um, I mean, especially the, the pensions, for example, the guest houses. I mean, you really get to, we got to meet the people that work there, the people that owned it, you know, they wanted to sit down with us and mm. explain to us, you know, exactly what we're eating. That's amazing. And their history, you know, what, what's happened in their lives, obviously back in 2011 and since. But it's incredible because everybody we met was happy, very, very lively. You know, the whole concept in my mind of Japanese people being shy was completely blown out of the water. I think out of the hundred people we met, I probably only met two shy people the entire time I was in Tahoe. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, um, absolutely. And you were, you were there in April, May. Now you're going back in November. Of yes. course, big news this summer was the release of the water um, in the Fukushima area. So mm -hmm. when you go back in November, you might actually have different stories, different reactions from the local people. I'm sure it's been a, a big impact on them, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my, my main concern really is, you know, it's going to really cause massive, massive issues for the fishing industry. I mean, it has done already. I was reading the news two days ago. So I'm just hoping that somehow, you know, the Japanese government is somehow compensating these people. Because if not, what do they do? Fishing fishing was what they did, it's what they had. So I'm not sure what the government's doing or if the government is doing anything, but fingers crossed. And yeah, I'm sure, you know, people will want to talk to us about that. It's such an important part of identity and sense of place. Not It's not just a job, right? It's so much more than yeah. that. I'm sure you heard stories about that kind of feeling from local people while you were there, right? Yeah, definitely. Uh, is this it looks like a nice pebble beach we're looking at? Yeah, so that's, again, on that same stretch, um, uh, not far from... Uh, the Kitayama Cape. Uh, so, a lot of the a lot of these areas, when you <laughs> go back later on Google Maps and try and find them, you you can't really find them. They're sort of, <laughs> sort of just there because a lot of them aren't necessarily uh, prime destinations yet. It's still quite new the trail. So, we were really lucky that um, uh, that's near um, uh, Jodagama Beach. It's not that isn't. The beach itself but that was a, a smaller beach that we went to afterwards um to do some interviews but um we were really lucky in the sense that we had uh kumi who was kind of our eyes and ears whilst we were there the whole time um kind of curating where the best spots were and obviously you know we were privileged to be hiking in the kind of most beautiful parts of the trail uh where large stretches of it are you know just sort of uh, you might have to, you know, walk beside a road at, at some point to, to get to the next nice part. But obviously we we didn't have to do that. We were very lucky. <laughs> yeah, having that local knowledge is really valuable, right? I, yeah, I think we would have found it near on impossible without it because my sense of direction is quite appalling. <laughs> I'm not sure about yours, Robbie, but I would imagine it's pretty similar to mine. <laughs> and, you know, Google Maps is not going to work in some of these really, really remote places, is it? Not mm. on the trails, anyway, in mountains, for example. So now, 
on on one of your Instagram feeds, you did go to places which are now museums, which shows uh, the devastation. They've kept it as is um, because a lot of people want to see what it looked like after. Yes. Um, is this kind of what we're looking at here in this picture? Is this something that maybe washed up in the tsunami or why did you take this picture? Uh, well, that's just, um, I think, you know, close up as part of a beach. It's not anything specific, but we did yeah. go to the uh, um, yeah. Kessanuma Memorial Museum, um, which was probably one of the most uh, yeah, life-affirming places we went because it is a, it's a high school that they've preserved um, in its entirety in terms of what it was like after the tsunami. And um, the bottom floor is completely kind of gutted by the wave. And then as you go up each floor, um, there's less and less damage where the wave reached. And they have this incredible story of, they managed to evacuate every all of the students. So you're like, okay, well, that's great. And they made it to higher ground. And then they told us that, well, some teachers stayed behind so that they could look after some important paperwork. <laughs> James and I so like, really? Yeah. <laughs> but they managed to get to the roof and they uh, all survived as well. So, um, it's a really, uh, it's a story of survival when you go there. They're not, so that's, there's a really positive thing about some of these monuments. They're not just, um, uh, I guess in the West, we, when we think of memorial, we think of, you know, places of sadness or loss, but, and yeah. it is that, but it is also a kind of um, positive message of survival. It's yeah, an education fun. too, right? About um, mm -hmm. planning ahead and, Absolutely. and what, what things worked in terms of management and leadership yeah. and yeah, yeah. Uh, what we should all learn from as well and i think that those kind of places where if you, nobody did die it's much easier to make into that kind of museum um in terms of yes. you know you want to show respect for people who lost their lives right mm -hmm. yeah the, the guides there were all um, former pupils as well yeah so that adds an extra layer of you know you know, personal connection to it. Yeah, absolutely. That's amazing. Um, so there's things to see along the way, of course, to document what happened 12 years ago. Um, there's, of course, people's stories themselves of, of what they went through, how they recovered. Uh, are you also covering stories of why people chose to stay or why people chose to move away? Has that come up? Yeah, it's not something that we really covered, but I think we were discussing a few weeks ago that it is something we'd like to touch on because obviously it's a question people are going to have. And the average person in the UK is not going to have any idea of why. We'd be like, well, surely you'd move, right? Yeah, yeah it has not come that up. Simple, if, is it? Yeah. It's come but up sort of indirectly, not necessarily directly, but in people's stories that they've said where they've described losing everything um, and then still choosing to stay here. It's sort of, it does come up in those ways. It's like, well, um, you can see that person has elected to stay here despite, you know, everything they've been, uh, been through, so. Yeah, we, when I went to Fukushima this year and we passed by uh, one of the evacuation zone areas mm -hmm. and there were these huge, beautiful murals uh, in the town, even though it was evacuated, they wanted people who saw it to remember the people who own the land, who live here, who want to come back. And I thought that was so powerful, a way to to show that 
that human connection to the story. Yeah. It's not I, just about the damage or the magnitude, right? It's not just the it's statistics. The it's, it's the humanity of, of what yeah. we've I think uh, recently uh, people have started going back to uh, parts of the area. So hopefully we'll get to see see some of that while we're there as well. Mm -hmm. You know, that's really interesting, isn't it? Yeah, I'm sure. Um, so continuing on the coastline, other beaches, it looks like? Yeah, so again, that's also near um, Jodagama Beach. It's not the beach itself, but it's a smaller beach nearby. Um, uh and again that's the same location yeah Beautiful. a lot of these were just sort of when we had a brief moment to get <laughs> to get a picture um how, so. how long did it take them to make this mct this michinoku coastal trail because they must have had to do a lot of work right a lot of work i mean since the i can't be exact dates and times but you know when the idea came about and then they had to, you know, obviously get a team together. Then they had to speak to people that live in the area because some people might not want it, you know. They had to, like, convince people um, and plan with the local people the, the route, the actual route itself because the idea really is for everybody to benefit from it. If you're not benefiting from it, you might not be all that interested in it. So it's worked really well. Oh, so you get a whole real community feel while you're, you know, walking through some of the villages, towns and cities. Because you know, people people are involved. You know, for example, the day the day I left um, Japan 2019, there was quite a large typhoon. And you know, it caused obviously it caused a lot of damage on the trail, which was terrible just a few months after it opened. But, you know, as well as the staff, local people got involved and helped, you know, um, well, making make the sorry, make the route walkable again. So everybody's involved. Yeah, and some some places sort of obviously, uh, you know, they feel very old. They've retained a lot of the original features, and some feel very new and almost futuristic. Like Onagawa, for example, which was completely mm -hmm. destroyed. That's been sort of entirely rebuilt and feels like a a town from the future almost because of the way it's constructed. It's you know built sort of higher with kind of all these drainage canals specifically to combat yeah uh, future tsunamis and all of the built urban planning is very like smart and contemporary um, and it's actually a model a case study model for how to redesign you know towns for for internationally uh, for yeah. our post-disaster so that's somewhere where you know it has a very very different feel to other places on the trail but you get the full gamut when you because the trail goes directly through it that's such a good point, though, isn't it? That this is not just about Fukushima area, Tohoku area, and Japan. This is something that we're experiencing worldwide with climate change and the rising oceans and more severe storms. Yeah, so every week how the are they an example for the world, right? Yeah, Unfortunately, yes, definitely. Yeah. Well, that's really powerful. It's great to see that they're investing so much in re in developing this area. Now, this colorful set of buildings has a great story, right? James, I remember you talking about it uh, when we talked last time. Do you want to tell us about it? Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah we're lucky enough to uh, go back again. So that's uh, the place that Whitey built. 
So it's uh, for people, you know, really for hikers to stay, sleep for the night. You know, there's beer in the fridge. Um, <laughs> there's a kind of a restaurant not too far away where you can go and drink beer and eat. Um, yeah, you know, we actually interviewed a hiker who was staying in the house um, whilst we were there. Uh, and then hopefully we'll get to chat to Waichi himself uh, yeah. when we come back. And didn't he build it out of uh, claimed materials from yeah, after the disaster? Yeah, everything there was left over from, from the town that was there. So including the furniture inside as well, because, you know, obviously people didn't have a home. So what was the point in keeping like the sideboard and the table, for example? And also uh, a lot of volunteers went over, you know, helped to help them paint it, you know, make it the... Um, kind of lively, slightly flamboyant place that it is today. It's lovely. I, I want to visit someday. You should. You must even come with us in November. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> if I have time, I would love to. Uh, what are we looking at now? Is this a big sea wall, protection wall? Yeah, so that's uh, just across from Waichi's house um, in the kind of Ofunato area. And yeah, that's, a, that's just an example of one of the sea walls that they built. Um, they sort of vary in age. Some were built, I think, pre-2011 uh, tsunami and some were some yeah. are Um So I think that might yeah. be one of the older ones, but yeah. But um, the people you talk to, the local people, how is their feeling about it? Do they feel more protected or in some places they feel a bit lonely because they can't see the sea or the coast anymore. There's kind of both sides of it, isn't there? A lot of people um, that we spoke to are not particularly happy about it because you know it takes away their view. And they showed us pictures of what, what it looked like before and now they've got this wall. So they're not so happy. But you know, there's a very good chance that in the future, you know, it could save your life. So it may give you an extra six minutes to get up high when the waves are coming. So, you know, six minutes doesn't sound a lot, but it's better than six seconds. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously they're very utilitarian in their construction. They're very bulky. They can feel quite oppressive to some people. Um, I believe we heard when we were there that um, different towns were offered to have the seawall and if at least one person uh, said they wanted to then they got they were obliged to build it yeah um so even in cases where there was a sort of you know 95 percent majority saying no uh they would still build one if if some people requested it because ultimately it's a, it's a safety thing but yeah it, it it is a bit of a controversial issue we haven't managed to speak with anyone directly about that but i'd quite like to um i mean personally i i'm a sort of fan of you know defense architecture and all of that so I, I i don't mind them but i think yeah if you were obviously if you're living there and it's your home every day you're looking out it, it it's uh you know it's 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 up to you and it, it could feel quite oppressive yeah i'm i'm sure there's really interesting stories on both sides of that that argument look forward to hearing about that from you guys um, this is another colorful little food truck, is it? <laughs> yeah, so that again, that's in the same town where Waichi lives. And this was just whilst we were on our way to a local uh, community-run restaurant. And um, we saw this food truck and <laughs> yeah, it just looked so, so kind of lit up like a Christmas tree. So grabbed a picture of that. That's great. Yeah. And I don't I... remember what he was selling, do you? 
It, it says I don't on know. Yeah. I mean, there, we know there was only one uh, or a couple of places to get food in that town, I think. So presumably it's they show up and sell some stuff like a yeah. like a canteen and then, and then go. But these these food trucks were such a lifeline to so many people in that area um, to just go and supply people with food. It's like mobile convenience stores, right? Yeah. Uh, really great and so cute. And it says snack truck. Oyatsu, Oyatsu is snack, so cute. Panda. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is beautiful. This is a Tori Gate right over the road. Yeah, so that's near the Fudo waterfall. Um, and uh, this was uh, somewhere we went to after staying near Waichi's house. And uh, yeah, that's a beautiful area. I think we're going back there because um, there's a sculpture at the Fudo waterfall that was built by a sort of famous carpenter who lives nearby. Yes. I believe we're going back to film yeah. his workshop and interview him. So we're going um, back with um, Jamie Dwyer from Walk Japan is meeting us for a couple of days. Wonderful. That's right. That'll be really exciting. Yeah, fantastic. So uh, you you had a, a French guide. You have <laughs> Walk Japan involved. So yeah, absolutely. It's, it's not only Japanese locals, it's it's stakeholders, people who are invested in redeveloping tourism in the area as well. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, Jamie, I believe. Absolutely. I mean, we really wanted to get um, communities. Yeah. Go ahead, Ravi. That's all right. Yeah, no, I think Jamie from Walk Japan, he's originally from Canada, but he's been living in Japan for 20 years. So... Yeah, that meeting him will be nice because it, again, it gives more of a sense of the international nature of the trail. And obviously a lot of hikers uh, from around the world, you know, go there at the moment. Um, uh, and I think, you know, the government and the environmental agency, they're looking to expand that to more general tourism. Because um, at the moment you've got, they've got the sort of extreme hikers there, but uh, um, they're looking for people who would normally go you know, to the sort of main hotspot tourist place of Japan to, to mm -hmm. bring them out further, further north, uh, northeast to Tohoku. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure which one of your Instagram feeds, but you had a lot of posters about warning of bears. So it's nice <laughs> to have a local guide. That's right. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, it was, it was quite, they were quite minor warning. They, you know, obviously there's a lot of signs. One thing I, I love about Japan, uh, is that they love signage and signs everywhere because mm. um, the UK loves signs as well. So we kind of we we like to connect on that. And yeah, some of the some of those anti bear signs were were very funny. And yeah, people yeah, wear bells, yeah. obviously, um, to uh, to ward off bears. But they're quite small, I've heard in most parts. So I think they're small compared to us, but not necessarily small compared to Japanese people. <laughs> Yeah, it's not we're British. <laughs> still, it's still a bear. Got to yeah, yeah, be aware of the bear. Yeah, Absolutely. and you guys were there. It's kind of a late cherry blossom time in that northern area, isn't it? It's lovely because yeah, we, you can you can catch it later than other parts of Japan, right? Yeah, I mean the cherry blossom wasn't great while we were there. It took us a few days before we actually saw some. I think this might have been the first cherry blossom we saw, actually. No, we climbed up quite at, high to get to it. I think this is at Mount Tatsugani. So this is what oh, our yeah. last day of filming. Oh, right. And, yes, um, thank you. Uh, 
and that was very very high up where that cherry blossom was so um but uh, but you're right james we, we it was kind of we did see some at shiagama at the temple but um i can't think of any more off the top of my head but yeah 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 i don't think that i'm well, I'm excited yeah. to see your next photos because when you go in November, you should be seeing a lot of autumn colors and that area yeah, is famous for autumn colors, right? Yeah, that's why we chose it. Smart. Um, <laughs> yeah, when we when we spoke to the mayor of Naturi, um, who we were lucky enough to interview, he, uh, yeah, that's also Mount Tatsugani, these photos there. He, he, one of his points was saying like, yeah, that it's amazing that you're coming back in the autumn because um, the trail changes so much between the seasons. Like you kind of get a whole new trail for each season almost uh, in terms of the look and feel of it. Uh, it completely transforms apparently. So yeah, I'm, I'm personally looking, I mean, autumn is my favorite season. So I'm personally looking forward to, to visiting um, in November. I'm, I'm just imagining looking at this Vista photo right here, all the colors that you're going to see the next time you go. It's yeah, going to be spectacular. So yeah, mm -hmm. fantastic. So we've only got a, about five minutes left. Uh, what, is, what are your plans? How is it going? Are you on target to get to film festivals and stuff for next year, is it? Yeah, I mean, we should be. It's very much, um, obviously, we're a close-knit, small team um so we sort of have the luxury of being a little bit flexible um with scheduling but yeah we're hoping to try and sort of uh, wrap up the editing early you know next year and then be submitting it to the festivals for for 2024 uh and then you know depending on on that and sort of if we sort of have any just kind of distribution uh, then we'd be looking for release after that. So probably late 2024, 2025, but we probably will have some industry screenings before then. Um, uh, so possibly, you know, we'll probably have one in London, a few in London and maybe some in Japan as well. That sounds exciting. And if people want to follow and support uh, your launches or any previews and things, how can they find out about that? It would be better if you uh, Instagram Robbie because my account has been hacked. Oh, no. So you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I meant to mention that earlier, but I didn't have time. But yeah, my account has been hacked, so you probably don't want to be going anywhere near that at the moment. <laughs> you might recover it. Yeah, just, just some advice. You might but, have a new um, one. You might have a new one. Maybe. But yeah, we we will have a new yeah. one probably for the film with the new title. Um, so I'll I'll post that on my Instagram as well. Yeah, yeah. I'm more more than happy for you to give out my email address to anybody that asks for it. Okay, great. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely no problem with that at all. So if you're interested, you can write it in the comments below and we'll make sure to get it to James and Robbie. Um, anything else you guys Thank wanted you. to mention before we sign off? Thanks so much for joining and sharing your insights. I'm really excited to see the preview. Yeah, no, I'm very excited as well. As I said earlier, you know, it's been a long time coming. We've been planning this for quite a few years. So it's kind of kind of surreal, really, arriving in Japan in April, getting off the plane and thinking, oh, wow, we're here. And also, wow, I'm really tired. <laughs> but, but that's a whole new story. That's a different documentary, of course. Um, yeah, I just, I mean, we should probably thank a few people, like obviously Kumi we've already mentioned for all her hard work yeah. and her team as well were incredibly 
helpful. Uh, also, the Ministry of Environment in Japan, they've been very helpful to us um, in terms of providing guides and also um, some funding for the November portion. Uh, Japan Airways, they, they helped us um, with tickets on the for the first trip and they actually came to meet us in Naturi. Uh, had four, four people from Japan Airways came to meet us, which felt very privileged. Uh, and they were keen and very passionate about the project. Um, yeah, I'm sure there are many other people, but also if anyone knows of any companies or any, anyone who wants to get involved, um, you know, just to help basically promote and spread the word. That's kind of what we really need help with um, going forward is um, putting the word out about uh, yeah, the project. So if anyone has any knows of any any companies that want to, you know, whether they'd be Japanese companies or UK based companies that want to tie it in with some kind of corporate social responsibility initiative, then, um, yeah, we'd be very happy to talk to you about that. Yeah, great, because it is such a great project and you're supporting the people in the area trying to rebuild and getting the ideas out that it's such a great place to go and visit and support as a tourist, as a visitor as well. So that really helps the local economy and the rebuilding yeah, as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if you're a tourist from you know Europe or from America, you should definitely be considering Tohoku because it's... Um, you're not, you know, the primary selling factor for me is you're not going to be running into lots of other tourists. <laughs> you're, going to, you're going to be out there in very authentic Japan, um, you know, eating very authentically. And it's a real, it's a real experience. It's completely and different. Very welcoming. Everybody talks about the locals being so welcoming and yeah, really friendly. Yeah. And it's so beautiful. And it's really not hard to get to from Tokyo, right? No. Yeah, yeah, but a lot of people are under the impression that it's so difficult to get to, isn't it? No, it's... I mean, I'm currently working at um, ELT uh, School of English. I've got an office in London and um, an office in Tokyo as well, so I'm, I'm teaching with them. But nearly all of my students haven't been to Tohoku, and and you know, because they think it's too far away, it's difficult to get to. I'm like, well, the Shinkansen. <laughs> yeah, you, <could laughs> you can go to Sendai. Sendai. I Get the local train time. for Turi. It's really only like two or three hours to get to the area, right? Yeah. Amazing. I think maybe what people are worrying about is that when you arrive, say, in Sendai or Hachinohe, then how do you then move? You know, how do you move? The bus services maybe not be great. Perhaps the train services aren't great. You know, if you live in Tokyo, of course they're not great. I mean, it's just the way you're going to see things, isn't it? You might have to wait 10 minutes for a train. I know that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, we've been living in London for years, so we're exactly the same, right? And I'm living in The train's 30 seconds normal. late. Yeah. yeah, well, thank you both so much. It was great talking with you. And everyone, thank you so much you for joining. Thanks, everyone. Have a great night. Take care. Nice to see you again, Joy. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks. Bye. So